Good morning, a very warm welcome to you. Uh, it's a wonderful to have you with us this morning uh, as we gather to worship the Lord together, whether you're following along online or if you're here in the building, it's wonderful uh, to have you with us. Um, and if you are visiting, please do make yourself uh, known. It'd be really great to, to get to know you a little bit more uh, afterwards. We'll have some refreshments in the back hall uh, afterwards. So really do, please do stay together to, uh, to get to know one another more. Uh, this morning we'll be concluding in our series in Micah, uh, chapter 7, uh, thinking about uh, the promise of light and love, as it stresses the amazing love and the forgiveness of God. Sometimes people might think that actually the, the God of the Old Testament is one of, God, of, of anger and judgment, and the one of the New Testament is one of love and grace. But as we'll see this morning, that's really not the case at all. Uh, one interpretation of a, an Old Testament psalm, it says this of God. It says, God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back for all our wrongs. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love for those who fear him. As far as the sunrise is to the sunset, so far has he separated us from our sins. This is the heart of God towards us for those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus, that we would know his love and his forgiveness for us. Let's pray as we come to worship him this morning. Father God, we do pray that you would help us have a, a vision of your love and your forgiveness in all its fullness, and that we would leave here this morning changed by your amazing grace as we are captured by the love of Christ. Lord God, our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you, who is the God of all things, is the one that we can come to, the one who has revealed himself supremely in his son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, as we think about Christmas time, the joy of the incarnation, that the God of the whole universe would come and dwell among us, that he would take on flesh and live among us, that he would bring light and life and love into our world. We thank you, Lord, for the, the goodness of God revealed to us in Jesus. And we pray, Lord, as we look to his glory and his goodness and grace, we pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have fallen short of your glory this past week. We pray that you would forgive us for thinking more of ourselves or more of our own name than of your glory and of your name. We pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have sought to build our own kingdom rather than yours. Uh, forgive us, Lord, from when we have dealt harshly with people, when we have dismissed them, when we have acted unjustly towards them. Uh, forgive us for the times that we have not been content with our daily bread, but have sought that of others, being envious of them and demanding more. We pray that you would help us, uh, that you would 
forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have harbored uh, sin in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would break our old ways of thinking and living and believing and that you would remake us in your image, in the image of our Savior, Jesus. But we thank you as we're, as we're told in, in Micah, you will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. As you have compassion on us, you will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your amazing grace to us. Thank you that you have shown that in Jesus, that we have now got hearts and lives fueled by your grace. And we pray that you would help us to live that out today and forever. And we pray, Lord, as we think of this Christmas season, we do pray, for, Father, for all the events happening. And we pray that many people would come to know the Lord Jesus for themselves as their Lord and their Savior. We pray for the carol service this evening, for the carols in the square on Wednesday, and for the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services as well, Lord, that they would be opportunities for people to hear of the goodness and joy of Jesus, that they would come to trust in him. Lord, as we think of our own fellowship as well, we pray, Father, for those who are lonely, who may be alone at times over Christmas. We pray that you would help them, that you would be their comfort and their presence. Pray for those who are sick, or anxious, or homeless, the persecuted as well, Lord. And we pray, Father, for those maybe grieving loved ones as well. We pray especially for your comfort with Mark and Kathy Andrews in the loss of Kathy's mum and stepdad. We pray too for, for John and Barbara Ismay as John recovers from, from surgery. And we pray that you would draw close to Barbara, especially as she seeks to support him. We pray too as we uh, look uh, to, uh, to you, Lord, at this time, that we would find our joy and our peace in you and into the new year as well. We pray for those further afield, for uh, those in the Middle East and Ukraine, Lord, that you would bring peace in that place ultimately that the lord jesus would be lifted up in these places that the prince of peace would reign in places where there is war and we pray as well for uh, work in the work in eswatini for pastor twala for the work that he does in sharing the gospel there give you thanks as well for pastor julian and all that he does in romania uh, for the outreach opportunities that he has over christmas we pray lord that you would take those opportunities to share the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus with clarity and boldness. And we pray too, as we think of ourselves over Christmas, that we would be full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that we would delight in living for you, that we would share in that hope over Christmas. We pray in whatever situation we find ourselves, Lord, be that easy or difficult, alone or with others, We pray that you would help us to shine for you, to display your goodness and grace in the places that you have put us. And Father, as we come to your word now, pray for Lila as she reads and for Neil as he preaches. May we we hear uh, the voice of the Lord Jesus through Neil as he proclaims the goodness of the gospel to us. We ask this 
in our precious Saviour's name. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today's text is from Micah 7, verses 7 to 20. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Saviour. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me into the light and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. In that day people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt. Even from Egypt to the Euphrates. And from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain the earth will be the earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as the result of their deeds shepherd your people with your staff the flock of your inheritance which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pastures let them feed in bashan and gilead as in days long ago, as in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord, our God, and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? Do not stay angry forevermore, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham. You pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Morning, everybody. Thanks very much for reading for us, Lila. Now let's pray as we come to, to God's word. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Father God, we do thank you that you have given us your word. And in your word, we find the hope of salvation. 
the hope of a relationship with you. And so we do pray this morning as we read it together and study it that we would see you in it, we would hear from you, and we would find true hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you have any idea uh, how much time you spend in your life waiting, waiting in queues. Apparently, the average person spends 52 days of their life queuing, whether it's waiting to pay at a supermarket, a checkout, or waiting to check in at an airport, maybe waiting to see a doctor. Last year, Liz got up very early in the morning to book a Tesco Christmas delivery slot and was very pleased when she got online and then looked to see that she was number 78,000 in the queue. (laughs) But some things we're waiting is just a real pain. Waiting in traffic jams. We're just keen for that waiting to be over. There are other things where we wait with great excitement. Maybe waiting for a birthday party. Waiting for a wedding day. Moving into a new home. Maybe waiting for the birth of a baby. There are some things we wait for knowing, will they actually ever happen? Advent is about waiting. People waited for Jesus to come the first time, and we are waiting for him to come again. But how do we know that the waiting will be worthwhile? We've come to the end of our Advent sermon series in the book of Micah. The main themes we've seen in this series are are judgment and deliverance, despair and hope. And this chapter is is no different. Uh, If you look back at uh, the first part of chapter 7, it paints a pretty depressing picture of the situation of Israel at that time. Micah starts by exclaiming in verse 1, What misery is mine. Reminds me of a song by one of my favorite bands, The Smiths. Heaven knows I'm miserable now. And Micah goes on to describe the miserable state of Israel. Um, he says in verse 2, The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. He says you can't rely on the leaders. Verse 3, The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. And you can't even trust those close to you. Have a look at verse 5. Do not trust a neighbor, but no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. It's desperate. But as you wonder what Mike is going to do in the face of that desperate situation, he then says this in verse 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Despite the desperate situation, he is full of hope. He says, though I've fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Hope, as Nathan explained the other week with the children, is not some vague wishful thinking like hoping I will get a decent present in the office secret Santa, which I did, by the way, Um, but I had to steal it. That's another story. Now, hope is a confidence in the promises of God. 
And hope is one of the great themes of Advent, alongside those of light, of joy and peace, which also occur all in this last chapter. Micah is waiting for the Lord, for God his Saviour. And although he doesn't know when and in what form he will come, he is saying, I will watch and wait and hope for the Lord because the Lord will be my light, the Lord will be my shepherd king, the Lord will be my loving saviour. Let's have a look at the first of those. The Lord will be my light. Darkness is, I think, a concept we all understand at this time of the year in the UK. It's, it's depressing to have less than eight hours of daylight. It means having to leave for work in the dark, coming home in the evening in the dark, going to walk the dog in the dark. But spare a thought for those who live in Tromso in Norway at this time of year, where they get zero hours of daylight, even if they do get the northern lights. But at least we can see. Most of us um, can't really appreciate what it must be like for someone who's visually impaired. Well, when Micah says here that he sits in darkness, he's not referring to a lack of daylight or a lack of eyesight. He's referring to spiritual darkness, both his own and that of the nation. And we've seen already in the first few verses what it looks like for a nation to be in spiritual darkness. We know looking at our own country today, what it looks like for a country to be in spiritual darkness. When greed and ambition are more important than sacrifice and integrity. But there are two things Micah takes comfort in, and we can take comfort in as well. The first is the Lord will be my light, and the Lord will bring me out into the light. What's the difference between those two? Well, I think in the first one, there's a sense that the the spiritual condition of the nation may not change. His own circumstances may not change. He's living in a fallen world, as we all are, where we experience the effects of sin in our lives. But in that darkness, to say that the Lord will be my light means that we can be reassured that he will help us navigate our way through the darkness. He will not leave us to stumble around on our own. What about the second one? He will bring me out into the light. Well, I think here Mike is acknowledging that he too is in spiritual darkness. Look what it says in verse 8. He says, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. He recognizes there's nothing he can do himself to escape that spiritual darkness. He needs someone to bring him into the light. Last week we saw Colin stumbling around the church in a blindfold, demonstrating what it's like to live in spiritual darkness. The only way he could escape was for someone, in that case it was Lavinia, to free him to go and take the the blindfold off and lead him out into the light. The only one who can lead us into the spiritual light is Jesus. When he healed blind people from their physical blindness, he was also illustrating how he'd come to heal people from their spiritual darkness. How does he do that? Well, firstly, he helps us to see his righteousness to understand what perfection and holiness look like. Micah says, I will see his 
righteousness. It's only when we understand Jesus' righteousness that we realize our own sinfulness. How we fall so far short of perfection. How we've failed in so many different ways. I'm sure we've all had that wake-up moment when we think we might be quite good at something until we realize actually we're only very average. Last season, our table tennis team got promoted to the Premier Division of the Aylesbury League. The first division, we thought we were actually pretty good. But then when you come up against Premier League players, you realize just how far short you fall. When the prophet Isaiah saw the righteousness of God, he cried out, Woe to me, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Peter saw the righteousness of Jesus, he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Micah is aware of his own sin and how that has separated him from God. He knows he deserves the Lord's wrath, but he trusts that the Lord will bring me out into the light. And that prophecy was fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. Jesus came as the light of the world. He promised that if we believe in him, we shall not perish, but have eternal life. We don't have to remain in spiritual darkness. Trouble is, as we read in John's Gospel... Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Like Micah, we live at a time when people prefer darkness to light. And there'll be people who ridicule us saying the same things as I said to Micah. They'll say, where is the Lord your God? How can you possibly believe in a a God you can't even see? How can you believe in a God when the world is in such a mess? But one day we're told here they will see him. And then in verse 10 we're told they will be covered with shame. But we pray that before that day comes, the Lord would open their eyes. That he would bring them out into the light. On the day of judgment, our deeds will be exposed. But if we are Christians, then we have nothing to fear on that day. Because Jesus has wiped our sins clean. We'll come back to that in a minute. I will watch and wait and hope for the Lord, because the Lord will be my light. And secondly, the Lord will be my shepherd king. The image of Jesus as a shepherd is one that we've looked at before in this series. comes up a number of times in Micah and comes up again here in the last chapter. Verse 14 says, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance. This is a future prophecy of what will happen in that day. That day, as it says in verse 11, will be a day for building your walls, extending your boundaries. Why? Because verse 12, in that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain. Jesus is not just a shepherd, he's a shepherd king who rules over the nations. He has come to establish his kingdom. And his kingdom was not just for the Jews, but for all people of all nations. 
as God said to his servant in Isaiah 49. He said, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus will build his kingdom, and nothing will stop it. Jesus will shepherd his people with his staff, a symbol of of leadership. And we, his people, will need shepherding as one flock. But look at how that flock is described. Micah calls him to shepherd the flock of your inheritance. I don't know if you've gone through that process of inheritance before, receiving what your, your parents or maybe somebody else has left you in their will. Maybe it's a favorite painting, a favorite piece of furniture, maybe a family home. Whatever it is, it will never be an adequate substitute. It may remind you of the person, but it will never replace the person. Jesus' inheritance is different. He already owns everything he created. He created us. He he redeemed us. So if we've put our trust in him and committed our lives to him, effectively he owns us. We belong to him. So what is he still then to inherit? Well, what he will inherit is a perfect relationship with his people. At the moment, because of Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. We, we are at peace with God. But that work of redemption, uh, when sin will be completely eradicated, has yet to be completed. There is still sin, sin in us that affects our relationship with God. We still mess up every day. We still need to confess our sins to him. Jesus still needs to intercede for us. But when Jesus comes again, there will be no more sin. There will be no more guilt. It will be completely eradicated. And his people will be presented to him as the perfect bride. That is the inheritance he is looking forward to with great joy. That is what was meant when we read in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross. He was looking forward to a day when he would gather his people to be with him in the new creation, which is described here in verse 14 as a forest in fertile pasture lands. Mentions the places of Bashan and Gilead, which are places in the promised land known for their beauty and their fruitfulness. It's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? When you, you arrange to meet someone, you know how much they're looking forward to seeing you. Isn't it amazing to think that the God of the universe is looking forward to that day? And not just one day, but the whole of eternity. We are the flock of his inheritance. Sadly, the flip side of this is that there will be those who have not submitted to the reign of, of the shepherd king. And who we're told in verse 16, will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. It says in verse 17, they will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. This is my den my office. Not sure it's quite the type of den that's being talked about here. 
The word den here is actually more translated stronghold. What is sin all about? It's putting our trust in human strongholds. At a national level, it's investing in military defense, thinking that our biggest problem is other nations who have greater military capacity than we do. At an individual level, it's ensuring our our home comfort and, and security. Our home is our castle. But it's not people we should be afraid of, but God. When Jesus comes again, there'll be no den, no stronghold to hide in. People will come out trembling. And if we're Christians, we we also need to be careful that uh, we're not relying on our human dens more than following our shepherd king. Is there a den that you've made in your life where you feel more comfortable and more secure than in Jesus himself? Well, the good news is that if we have put our trust in Jesus, we don't need to, to tremble. We don't need to be afraid of God. We can welcome Jesus with joy when he comes. Which brings us on to the last point and the last few verses. Micah says, I will watch and wait in hope for the Lord because the Lord will be my loving saviour. Who is a God like you? Says Micah. That's what we sang earlier. What is it that makes you stand out from every other false God? Well, you are a God who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Last week, remember, we looked at how God expects his people to behave, and uh, the most important things mentioned in chapter 6 were to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Why is it so important to act justly? Because God is a God of justice. Why is it so important to love mercy? Because God himself loves mercy, he delights in mercy. He finds joy in being merciful. Mercy describes his unfailing, steadfast love. Includes his faithfulness to his people. Verse 20 says at the end there, You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Micah was waiting for the fulfillment of that promise that would come through a loving saviour. He didn't know when he would come, but he knew that when he did come, he would deal with his own sins, he would deal with the sins of Israel, all those who had put their trust in him. Let's fast forward 700 years to meet another person who was waiting. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. You've got a church Bible, it's on 1028. <clears throat> Forty days after Jesus' birth, Joseph and Mary took him to the temple in Jerusalem uh, to present him before the Lord and perform the purification rites. And while they were there, we're told in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. 
who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. There was also a prophet called Anna, we're told, who was a widow until she was 84, for most of her life. And we're told in verse 37, look over in the next uh, section there, that uh, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Two people who've been watching and waiting in hope for the Messiah all their lives. They were looking forward to the consolation and to the redemption of Israel. A consolation refers to the comfort, if you've been reading in your Advent devotionals, that Isaiah talked about, that comes from having our sins forgiven. Redemption refers to the freedom that is ours when we are brought out of spiritual darkness into the light. And we no longer have to carry the burden of our sin and guilt because Jesus has taken it from us. Going back to, to Micah 7, we're told in verse 19 that he will tread our sins underfoot and hurl them into the depths of the sea. They won't be dredged up like he, the Titanic. but we know getting into submarines to go down and look at them? They'll be left there to be forgotten. In his book, Matt Searles uses another analogy to describe the wiping out of our sins. He says it's like the waves breaking on a beach. As they recede, all the lumps, the bumps, the marks and the sand are smoothed out and disappear. We have that pristine sand. That's what it's like with... God's grace. He washes away every stain of sin again and again. I wonder, are there mistakes that you've made in the past or guilt maybe you're hanging on to? If God is prepared to, to wipe them out, to hurl them into the depths of the sea, then why do we have to, to keep them not far from the surface? Why don't we allow them to go down to the bottom like God does. Or maybe there's still hurt that you're experiencing from something that someone's done to you, maybe many years ago. And that may be something really painful. But if a perfect God is willing to forgive you when he doesn't have to, when we don't deserve it, why are we not willing to forgive those who've sinned against us? Don't let that hurt drag you down with it, but ask Jesus to help you hurl it into the depths of the sea and remember it no more. 
instead of being consumed with pain and hurt and guilt, focus instead on Jesus. Watch and wait in hope for that wonderful day when Jesus will come again to receive his inheritance, to take you, his precious belonging, to be with him for eternity. And in the meantime, rejoice that Jesus is my light. He is my shepherd king. He is my loving saviour. Let's pray. Father God, we are aware that we too by nature live in darkness, each one of us. Like Micah acknowledged himself, we, we are deserving of your wrath. And yet we thank you that you have brought us into the light. That Jesus came as the light of the world. Father, if there are any here this morning who have not yet stepped into the light, Lord, we pray that uh, you would enable them to do so. Open their eyes to see you and your righteousness and our need for you as our saviour. Thank you that you have come as the light. Thank you that you've come as the shepherd king. Thank you that you will gather all nations together when you come again. We look forward to that day. And it's humbling to think that you treasure us as your inheritance, your glorious inheritance, that you're preparing us to be the perfect bride for you on that day. So Lord, in the meantime, help us to to trust in you, help us to watch and wait with hope for that day. Help us not to put our trust in human dens or strongholds or whatever it is, Lord, but to put our trust in you. Because you are a faithful God who loves mercy, who delights in mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you'd like to to pray about anything from the service, how God has ministered to you or anything else that's on your heart, please do pop over to the corner to the prayer ministry. There'll be people uh, to pray with you. And indeed, if you don't go there, please do pray with someone that you came with or pray with myself or others or Neil or Sarb, others that would love to be able to encourage you in prayer together. This evening, please do come along. Carol's by candlelight at six o'clock. Do come along to that. And there'll be refreshments after the service this morning as well. But let me close in prayer. Lord, we are amazed at your amazing grace to us, that we would sing your praises. As you say in your word, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Thank you, Lord. Amen.